3, and we'll return there this morning and complete the message. We were looking at the fruits of justification, and in Romans 5.1, we read, Therefore, being justified by faith, the first fruit we looked at was, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does the declaration of righteousness mean by faith for you as a believer? You have peace with God. That peace now that's an inner rest and contentment in who God is and what He's doing, that will one day, one day be full, fully shalom peace where everything will be made right, Christ reconciling all things to Himself. The universe will be made right until that day we are seeking that inner rest and peace that has purchased, been purchased for us by Christ. We have peace with God. Number two, access. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. That word access, we noted, speaks of the idea of a presence chamber of a monarch. It's the place the monarch invites his friends in to commune with him. We have access into the presence chamber of God through Jesus Christ. We have access to his grace. We have access to God himself. We can draw near to God in the new year. Number three. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We now are rejoicing because of the hope that is set before us that one day the promises of God will be fulfilled completely and finally and we will bask in the glory of God forever. That is a fruit of justification. This morning, number four. And you can almost hear Paul's anticipation of maybe a bit of a shock. Not only so, not only in these three, we glory in tribulations also. Paul chooses the word glory as the same Greek word for rejoicing. It can be translated glory, boast, or rejoice. Not only so, not only in these three benefits of justification, we glory in the fourth benefit. We glory in tribulations. Now, you've read this text. You've heard it expounded. But this would have been shocking and radical, particularly for the Gentiles who had never read a Bible, didn't have the Old Testament scriptures. To hear this would have been new revelation for them. And even among the Jews, they had such a distorted view of the kingdom of God and what they thought it meant with regard to their life on earth. This, too, would have been a rather different spin on what they knew about God. Glory in tribulations. I have mentioned to you several times about my sister Sheila and her stroke. And this past few days was the first time I got to visit with her and see her. We had seen the pictures of her, but when we walked in, it was the reality of what the stroke has done to her body. She still can't talk. She still can't eat. It would be dangerous for her to swallow because it may choke her. She's fed through a tube. She still can't walk. But inside, everything is working and functioning clearly. She can write on a pad and clearly express her thoughts about things before the stroke. Where things are located in the house, we sang some songs and she told her husband, yeah, the book is on the second shelf next to this book over in the corner. So she's in there. But her brain is not communicating to her body what to do. And her 
Even her face is expressionless because she can't make the muscles move. Now, how do you tell her that? Glory in tribulation. See, for you and I, we can, we can rejoice in this sitting where we are this morning. I'm sure some of you may be experiencing some form of tribulation, but what about when that day comes? You're sitting in a wheelchair, and then you read the text. Yeah, I know what the text says, and I, I know what God expects, but how is that possible to glory, boast, and rejoice in tribulation when tribulation comes personally to you or to me? Well, let's look at what we'll call Paul's formula, the process, if you'd like to look at it. Paul would say, this is how this works, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. First, let's define the terms, tribulation. Tribulation is a broad word used in the Bible. It can mean any circumstance in your life that produces emotional, mental, or physical suffering or pain or sorrow. It can be light or it can be severe. Stephen uses this word in Acts chapter 7 where he's recounting the history of Israel. In verse 10, he said, The patriarchs were moved with envy and sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all of his afflictions. The Greek word is the same for tribulations. So let's look at what those afflictions are. His brothers sold him. Now, there was a little bit of physical suffering. They threw him in a pit, but, but what about the emotional and mental anguish of your own brothers hating you. That's far more than physical, isn't it? I mean, if your brothers love you and they beat you up, you know, you're mad at them, but you hug them afterwards because there's, there's relationship. Well, not here. So the affliction that God delivered him from was the affliction of the hatred of his brothers. Furthermore, he was sold into Egypt. There was physical suffering there. Yes, he was a slave in Potiphar's house, but there were conditions he was subjected to. He wasn't in his homeland. He was in Egypt, a foreign land. He wasn't with his family, with his father that he loved. That's mental, that's emotional, and it is physical. And then he was falsely accused and put into prison. Certainly there were some physical conditions that were not good for Joseph in prison. For two years, he suffers. But the emotional distress... Maybe even some depression could have hit Joseph. The despair of when he interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker, and they came true, you know, the baker, the butler goes back, but he forgets Joseph. Two whole years, the mental, the anguish, the emotional, and the physical suffering. And Stephen says it was tribulation. It was this word. So this is a broad word that can mean anything in your life where you're experiencing those things. Again, it can be severe or it may not be as severe, but it is tribulation. And then there's patience. Patience is a word that means more than simply getting through it. Every person on the planet will experience tribulation. And every person on the planet, to some degree, unless they die in it, will be patient through the tribulation. See, it's not just making it through it. The word expresses the idea that you endure it 
on the pathway of holiness with Jesus by faith. All men don't do that. So Paul would say in Romans 8, 17, If children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together with him. See, to suffer with Jesus means you stay with him in the tribulation. And what's the assurance? You're going to be glorified with him because faith is persevering through the tribulation in what way? Patience, endurance. Or 2 Timothy 2.12 where Paul says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. This is the verb form of the word for tribulation in our text. Suffer is the verb form, which means if you endure, if you continue in your suffering, you will also reign with him. The word also tells us why. If you suffer with Christ, meaning whatever the tribulation, light, medium, severe, if you stay on the pathway with Jesus Christ, what's the result? you're going to one day reign with him, right? So the assurance that we will reign with Christ is that we're continuing to run the race, even when the race means. And what race doesn't mean this, right? Uh, In Hebrews 12, a race is going to be what? Pain, tribulation, sorrow, hardship, mentally, emotionally. Spiritually, in your soul, it's going to mean tribulation. So let's look at this formula, having defined those two terms. Tribulation works patience when we know something about it. And we know from Romans that God is at work in the tribulation. It's not something that happens outside of God as if it just sort of plays out in our lives. We know that tribulation works patience because we know the God that we love, the God who is our Father, is at work in it, Paul would say, in Romans 8, 28. And we know, for those that love God, that's the original order. If you check it in the Greek, love is up front. You remember in the Greek language, you don't have to go uh, subject, verb, direct object. You can put it in any order for emphasis because the case ending determines the function of the word. So the the sentence actually reads when Paul wrote it, for those that love God, we know that all things work together for good, the called according to his purpose. Why did did he put that up front? Well, we, we can't be certain, but what is it you love about God or what he does for you? Do you love it when he works things out together for good? Or do you love God? You can love what God does and have no love for God. People do it all the time. People embrace a gospel that's all about what God will do for them. But it's not embracing the God of the gospel. So maybe Paul says this to remind us. It's for those who love God. Yes, we love what God does. Yes, we love how God rules over things for our good. But do you love God is the question. That's going to get you through the tribulation. Because when you look in your circumstances, you may say, how is this good? 
This is not good. And in fact, it's not. But if you love the God who's working good, that's going to be what you know that helps sustain you in the tribulation. So we know, for those that love God, God is working everything out for those who are called according to His purpose. So everything, whatever that is in Romans 8, and it just means everything, is at work to serve God's purpose on behalf of those who are called and the called are those that love God. That's why they love Him, because they've been called effectually by the Holy Spirit. Now, what is that holy purpose? It is, for whom He did foreknow, He also predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, we know to be conformed to the image of Christ requires sanctification, because none of us right now are completely conformed. You would, this is where you would amen, right? None of us here have arrived. So God is using everything to serve His holy purpose of conforming us to the image of Christ, which includes in our text, tribulation. And Paul will say that in Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No. It seems sort of disconnected, but the no is an answer to who shall separate us. No, tribulation shall not. Why not? We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, I left off something. It was accidental, but it serves the purpose. When are we more than conquerors? In all these things. In what things? In all your tribulation. What's happening? In all things, God is working those things to serve his purpose in your life, which is sanctification holiness to be like Jesus we need to know that now and we need to know that in the tribulation we need to know that the God that we serve is at work because there's no temptation that is overtaking you but such as is common to man but God who is faithful will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able but will with the temptation provide a way of what escape so that you may bear it God is so overruling your tribulation that nothing will touch you. But what he will sustain your faith in it so that it's not destroyed and you'll be able to endure it. What? The temptation or the trial, the testing. And this passage is about testing, we'll see. Or Paul would say, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. Now think about it. If God is at work so that all things serve his purpose including tribulation, and we are more than conquerors in the tribulation, which means we don't just conquer like the Roman army did. You just subdue the enemies and go back home. No, you bring them back as slaves, and they work for you. So if tribulation is working for God, tribulation is working for you. And that's what Paul says. Our light affliction, which was not light, but it, it spanned a scale from, from light to heavy, We've studied that in 2 Corinthians. Paul said it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look, tribulation is going to help us, if we're thinking right, look in the right direction. Not at the temporal things. You know what just happened to temporal things in your, in your tribulation? They're taken away. 
something is taken away. Something small, something large is in some way taken away in your tribulation. And if our eyes are riveted on what was taken, we're not going to do well. But if we're looking not at the things which can be seen, but the things which are not seen, because the things that are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. So first, we know that tribulation works patience, not because it just kind of does so, but because we know the God that we serve is causing our tribulation to serve Him and us. That's paramount. Secondly, tribulation works patience because we have faith and hope in God. In other words, it only works this way for the justified. Paul says we're justified by faith. He says we're rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. Tribulation works patience for the justified who have faith and for those who have hope in God. If there is no faith or hope, it doesn't work. Now just take the parable we just read. Tribulation did not work patience. That's one of Jesus' point with a stony ground hearer. So the seed which was sown on the stony ground are those people that hear the word of God and immediately they receive it with gladness. But having no root, they endure, they're patient for a while. Until what? Afterward, when affliction, same Greek word, tribulation, and persecution arise for the word's sake, what happens? Immediately. They are offended. Now that's not offended when someone says something unkind to you or maybe says something that kind of puts you down. I'm offended. No, it means they fall away. Tribulation did not work patience. It doesn't for everybody. Only for the justified. Why didn't it work patience? It started well, didn't it? Because like the parable, Jesus said, there was not much earth. There was no depth of earth. So when the seed fell in that shallow soil, it just shot up quick out of a little soil on top. And there was no roots there. The, the, the rocks under it prevented the roots. How is it that the word of God can beget gladness but not sustain the gladness? What does it appear that begat the gladness that produced it? The word. They heard the word, received it with gladness. But then the same word could not sustain the gladness. Why? Because there was no root. There was no faith. There was no hope. Their gladness was superficial gladness. Superficial gladness is on the surface. It's not deep. It's circumstantial gladness and that was much of the gladness of the Jews when Jesus came and told who he was he's speaking to the Jewish people in Mark 4 and boy thousands received it they were all over Jesus when he came into the Jerusalem they were, Hosanna to the highest until circumstances changed 
See, circumstantial gladness means when things are good, like, you know, we talked about the Christmas holiday uh, last Sunday, and I'm just going to assume that went real well for you, no matter what it was. Uh, it, it went well, and you were glad. But that's circumstantial gladness, isn't it? You're glad just as long whatever the object of your gladness is remains fresh, new, pretty, functioning. It works, right? But just as soon as the object is gone, stops working, loses its luster, gets dented, somebody breaks it. Ever happened to you? The gladness is gone. Because it was simply circumstantial gladness. Tribulation does not work perseverance for those whose faith is not in the word. David told us, but the law of the Lord is his delight. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he's like a tree rooted. Deeply rooted, not superficial. David's delight was not superficial. Why? Because it was deeply rooted in the Word of God, in the law of God, which is a revelation of God's righteousness. So the Word does beget gladness, and it sustains it because the Word is not circumstantial. The Word of the Lord endures forever. And if your faith is in the Word of the Lord that endures forever, what's the upshot of your gladness? It endures forever. The root of endurance is that real, solid gladness. It's not a fading gladness. It's not a circumstantial gladness. Now, we have circumstantial gladness, don't we? That's not a condemnation of it. I'm glad when my appliances work, when my car works, and I turn on the heated seats in the winter and they work, you better believe I'm glad. And I'm not glad when they go off. Right? But that's not really tribulation, is it? What about when tribulation hits hard and heavy and it's hot? Jesus said the sun comes up and it scorches the plant. David says in Psalm 1, the leaf does not wither. What's the point? The sun comes up and it's hot. Implying there's, there's something going on in his life that's very, very hot. But what sustains the plant, it's that rooted deeply in the rivers of water or in the rivers of the water of God's word. So, tribulation works patience because God is at work. And tribulation works patience because Paul begins with faith and hope. And that's exactly what God is going to test is your faith. So let's look at the next part of the formula. And we probably should see these not as linear progression, straight line, but more like a house where all four members of the family are together. Because it may seem like tribulation and after a while there's endurance and then way after a while there's experience and then somewhere along the way down there there's hope at the end. But think of it like tribulation comes to the house and in the house comes patience with him. And in the house comes an experience with him. And in the house, same house, comes hope. There is some linear there, Paul makes clear. But, but this is happening in all things, Paul says. So we don't have to wait to the end of it all 
In other words, when I get out of the tribulation, then I expect more hope. No, in these things. Are you in tribulation? So right now, here, you can be experiencing, even as long as the tribulation may last, you can experience what Paul says, tribulation, patience, experience, hope. Right? So let's look at the next word, experience. Experience is the Greek word in the active sense. It means proving or trial, but in the, in the finished sense, it's, it's proven character. It, it speaks of something like at the end of the process, which is where this is moving. That can be used both ways here. Think of it like a proving ground. Uh, a proving ground is a place where a piece of equipment, a, a theory is tested. It's proven. So there's the actual putting it to the test, and then there's the experience of the end of the test. And they're sort of connected. You, you really can't have one without the other. So like the place I work, we don't have a proving ground. We have a proving room. And they put a piece of equipment in the room, and they attach it to this machine, and it just shakes it. And it's not a human, but it shakes it to death. I mean, millions and millions of quick, rigid vibrations, and you can hear it all over the building. It's kind of annoying. So they're testing it and shaking it and shaking it. They hook these computers up so they can monitor progress of the proof, the testing, and see at the end of the test what is proven by the test, what discoveries can be made. Well, there are three here we'll look at. Three. The first one is it proves you're not a stony ground hearer. Now, don't take that too lightly. That's big. How do you know you're not a stony ground hearer? Even the apostle said to Jesus, is it I? Will I be the one to betray you? Will I be the stony ground hearer? The shaking will prove the character of your faith. When you're shaken by the tribulation multiple times, it's going to reveal the genuineness of the faith. Just like the piece of equipment. Now if it falls apart and pieces start flying everywhere... Wasn't what we thought it was, right? But if it makes it through the test, then the proven character, the experience is approved. That's one of the word nuances for the word experience. Approved, genuine. That's a glad experience. I really do love Jesus. I really am one of his. It's not that maybe I doubted before, but I wasn't in the tribulation. But now that I'm in the tribulation, God has sustained me. God has kept me. I still love him. I still trust him. Approved. That's the first experience. That's an experience of assurance that God wants you to have. Assurance. The second experience is that it proves something about your character in the trial, about the equipment. Now, at our the workplace, the piece of equipment makes it through, but the, but the com computer monitor reveal there's some weaknesses here. You know, all, I don't know, graph, something on there, it says, it's hooked up to it, it says, mm, we've, we've got to make some adjustments. See, when the tribulation shakes you and you make it through it and you say, I'm, I'm a genuine believer, it reveals something about you that needs to be adjusted. 
And this is likely not a possibility, but likely something that is always going to be the case, right? See, you cannot know your weaknesses until you're shaken. You ever had that experience and you thought, you know, some growth was happening, some things you see in the Bible, God, I thank you, it seems like, you know, I'm, I'm bearing some fruit, praise God, it's all by grace. My attitude's getting better, and, you know, I, I feel like I'm loving more than I have in the past, and then the shaking comes. And it's like, my attitude stinks. I'm not half as loving as I thought I was. There was no possible way I could have known that until the test. Now, you didn't fall apart, which, meaning you're still persevering. You didn't check out on God. You didn't apostatize. You didn't leave God. Nevertheless, on the pathway of holiness and sanctification, because the same faith that justifies is the same faith that is used to sanctify us. And so God is testing our faith. So when he shakes it and shakes it and shakes it with the tribulation, whether it's a light shaking or it's a severe shaking, the shaking, the proving ground is going to prove something about your faith. There are some weaknesses there. And the aim of God is that the weaknesses be seen and that repentance be in order and that we see areas of our lives where we've misplaced our faith and hope. Is that ever your experience? Like the young man I was reading about in a book I have, it was, the author was illustrating this by a young man he knew that this young man was single, maybe in his late 20s, and he just felt empty inside. He loved to do mountain biking and go hiking and loved to eat certain foods, but he felt empty because there was no one to share it with. Though he had friends to do it with him, but he wanted to get married. He wanted someone to spend his life with. One day he met that perfect woman. It was better than he thought. I mean, she loved mountain biking. She loved hiking. She loved the same food. She loved the same events, like the same vacation places. Everything was perfect, and they got married. This man felt that emptiness go away. He felt fulfillment. He felt gladness and joy. He loved when they went mountain biking. He loved when they hiked together. He loved when they went on vacation to the same places they loved to go. He got a re had a reason to get up in the morning. He loved to work. He loved to spend money with his wife. He loved to do everything with her. Well, and rightfully so. We should love to do everything together in marriage until she got sick. It didn't seem very bad at first, and then they got a thorough exam for her, and she had an autoimmune disease, which was long and progressive, and she couldn't be healed. Everything changed. He didn't want to get up in the morning. He did not want to go to work. And guess where else he didn't want to go? He didn't want to go to church. That was the last place he wanted to be, and so he didn't. What happened? When God started shaking him, things were revealed that were already there, but the testing exposed it. And God is loving us when he does that. 
The testing exposes misplaced hope. He had handed his dreams over to his wife and expected her to bring the delivery truck of fulfillment on what he desired. And some object can do that for a little while, but what was the problem? She wasn't designed to do that. She couldn't do that. And only the test that included her help revealed that she couldn't. Beloved, the experience that God is after is not to harm us. It is to show us where our hope and faith is still a bit misplaced. It's off the mark. And I can think it's not. I can think everything's okay until the day of fire or testing and rigorous shaking. According to God's dialing in the machine at the number of vibrations per minute that he wants, right? And so what are the signs of a misplaced hope? When the things of God are no longer the things of God. When church is not being attended, you can bet, I can use that word in the church, you can rest assured there's a misplaced hope and a misplaced faith because what's happening, endurance is beginning to decline. The pathway of holiness has been set aside. Why? Because some crushing tribulation has brought crippling disappointment to your dreams. person in that condition needs to get back on the pathway. It's a dangerous place to be. Now, what's the problem? Not knowing that tribulation is working patience. And patience is bringing us to the experience of seeing things about ourselves that God intends for us to see. If we understand that, it's still painful. It's still disappointing. But then we can get help, go back to the Word, cry out to God, and ask Him to sustain us as we redirect our hope back to Him. How many times in your life do you have to readjust your hope back toward God? Just like adjusting your driving and steering. You veer to the right or the left. So God's method, one of God's methods, one of the tools in His hands for sanctification is your tribulation. And then the patience or endurance is then leading us to experience as long as we know something about God. Because we're going to need to know this when we're shaken. And then the third thing we learn in this is we learn something more about God. The proving trial proves something about God. And this comes out in the next part. Experience then produces what? Hope. Now this is the end where God is going with this. Paul writing. Tribulation worketh patience, brings about patience, which brings about experience, which brings about hope. Now, the proving ground is ultimately bringing us to the place of God's design to begin with. This is why he started the shaking. It's the hope that does not make ashamed. And that word can mean disgraced, shame, or disappoint. See, the young man in the illustration had a hope that disappointed him, left him ashamed. Why did it? Because it was misplaced. 
tell me, beloved, what is the hope that will ne never disappoint you? Ever. It's God. He is the only object that cannot fail your hope. He is the only person that will never disappoint your hope if your hope is in Him. And so the whole aim of the shaking and the patience and the experience is to make the discovery through the trial that God is my hope. Now we started that He's the hope of glory. And we rejoice in Him. But now our hope is strengthened because the trial brought about an experience that revealed to me where my faith and hope is in God. But at times, I've, I've placed it, my expectation, in something else that's going to bring to me the fulfillment that only God alone can bring. And so this kind of hope that will not disappoint is the hope that will sustain you. In and through the shaking. So what's God doing? He's trying your faith to make you stable and steady. Because you need faith to get to the finish line. And you need patience. And you need God. You need this formula. That's what the writer of Hebrews would tell us. He would say, cast not away therefore your confidence which hath a great recompense of reward. Now what is the confidence? It's the gladness they had that allowed them to take joyfully the plundering of their goods. You know, they were being persecuted. They were being shaken. They were having tribulation. But the shaking was starting to produce what? A departure from God. So the writer is unpacking the supremacy of Christ so that they would know something about God and his training of them and chastisement so that the tribulation would not shake them off the table to the ground would shake them in such a way that it produces a greater confidence. Don't throw away your confidence, which is gladness in God, because that gladness has a great recompense of reward. What's the reward? You have need of patience, endurance. Why? So that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. The confidence of gladness which comes from hoping in God is the confidence that keeps us on the pathway of patience doing God's will until you receive the promise. And what is the promise? Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. He's patient in temptation. He's patient in the shaking. Why? For after the temptation is done, James 1.12, you shall receive the crown of righteousness which the Lord shall give to all those that love him. That keep loving him is the actual wording. Now, who keeps you loving God? Well, you do and he does. But you're the secondary cause, beloved. He is decisive. What is he using to keep you loving him? The shaking. Because the shaking cannot destroy your faith. So after all that shaking, after all those trials... Why do you need patience? Why is the man blessed that endures temptation? He's patient through temptation, through the shaking. Because after it's all over, your faith will receive a crown of righteousness. The crown you already have. Maybe a little crown. I don't know. It's a good thing. We can rest on that. And it's the love of God. Fully and finally. So that's what this hope is headed toward. This is the hope that will not disappoint, the hope that is in God alone that we discover and experience more of our hope in God. 
But then note what Paul says in verse 5. Hope does not make a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. Now how does that happen? That seems kind of mystical, doesn't it? So you're having this shaking and it's causing grief in your life and you wake up one morning and say, Ooh, I just had this overwhelming experience of the love of God in me. It seems kind of magical and mystical. I don't think that's what Paul means, but what is it? Well, as I mentioned at the end of the last sermon on this subject, that the verb shed abroad, largely distributed, is a perfect tense verb, passive voice. You didn't do it, and when it happened, it was done. The love of God has already been completely, totally, fully poured out in your heart. There's not another ounce that can get in. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit, who's the agent of love, is already there. He's the Spirit of Christ, and He's there in totality. You don't have half the Spirit. You have Him all. The Holy Spirit has been given. The love of God has been poured out completely and totally. But this tense, as you know, means there's something about an ongoing experience that follows it, although... He doesn't keep giving you the Holy Spirit. He's, it's done. Just like you don't keep getting justified. It's done. What is this experience and how does it happen and connect with hope? And I think what Paul is saying is that the tribulation is what drives us to God. Right? The shaking is not meant to drive you away from God. Although in our experience, sometimes that can happen, doesn't it? Our first response to the tribulation is we, we start moving away from God. The very thing we desperately don't need to do happens. That's why we need to exhort one another. We need to be encouraging and helping people. Don't fall off the path because we certainly can. So the tribulation, the shaking is not designed to move us away from God, although it does sometimes. It's designed to drive us to God. And what is this experience of hope and being driven to God? The love of God is being poured out. It's being shed abroad in our hearts. I think the next thing Paul is saying is that the tribulation is actually producing the joy. Right? If, if it's the rejoicing that comes from hope, and hope is strengthening, hope is not made a shame, it stands the reason, reason that, that, that the pain is producing the hope. Listen to Jesus in John 16, 21. When a woman hath travail, he's talking about childbirth. Jesus is about to go away. He told his disciples, you're going to have sorrow for a little while, and then you'll have the kind of joy that no man can take from you. Verse 21, John 16. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow. Why? Because her hour is come, but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the philipsis, same Greek word, tribulation, translated here, anguish. She remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Now here's the question, who delivered the child? Not the doctor. Not the nurse. The pain delivered the child. The travail delivered the child. The contractions do the delivery, do they not? I mean, they're there to help out, but I mean, there were times when there were no doctors. 
Who delivered the child? The travail, which Jesus then calls the tribulation. What's his point? The tribulation is going to deliver the joy. It's going to produce it. For joy that a child is born, what produced that joy? It was the contractions. What's Paul saying? It's the tribulation that's producing the joy, but we're running from the joy of tribulation because we're not staying with God in it. Oh, joy that seekest me through pain. I dare not close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. Oh, love that will not let me go. How do you trace a rainbow through the rain of tribulation? When you read this text, you should be singing that song in your mind. Joy is seeking me through the tribulation. And I failed to see it. That's why I departed from God. That's why I questioned His love. That's why I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it anymore. That's why I quit. Why? I didn't remember that joy is seeking me by means of the pain. That's what He's doing. Because if hope doesn't make a shame and disappoint, what's hope doing? It's delivering on your expectation of joy. How do you trace a rainbow through the rain of tribulation and feel the promise is not vain? The promise. How is this experience of love of God shed abroad in your hearts? Romans 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. The God of hope wants to fill you, shed abroad maybe, abound in you. How's that going to happen? Hope that comes from the Holy Spirit or the love of God shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit? What is the power of the Holy Spirit that we're to abound in? It's joy and peace. That's the power of the Spirit. Colossians 1.11. Remember that verse we learned? Strengthened with all might according to His glorious what? Power. Abounding in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. What's His power? With patience and longsuffering and joyfulness. The long-suffering and the patience or the endurance is not the power. That's how the power is seen. You keep going. What's the power? Joyfulness is the power that the Holy Spirit brings. And what is the power of joyfulness? It's the love of God poured out and experienced in your soul. Ephesians 3.16, Paul prays to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Similar wording there. I may have just quoted Colossians 1.11 again. They're very similar. It's a parallel text. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Here's the power of the Spirit. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Love. That you may comprehend with all saints. Right? How do you trace the rainbow through the rain of shaking tribulation? comprehending. That's a mental term, isn't it? Because Paul said, the God of hope for you with joy and peace in believing. The promise is not vain, is it? 
If it is, beloved, fall away. Leave him. Get out of it. It's not vain. Because we know whatsoever things were written aforetime, Romans 15.4, were written for our learning and admonition that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. See, when tribulation drives us to God, who is our joy, and the Spirit pours out the love of God in our hearts, it's not in a vacuum. It's by Scripture alone that He does it. That's how we know. That's how He works. He connects Christ of the Bible with the love of God through Scripture. And we, through patience and comfort of the Scripture. How does the Scripture produce patience? Because when you read Old Testament Scriptures, what that text is referring to, because the New Testament was being written, when you read in the Bible, you just read about Noah and Moses and Jacob and I. No, it's the God of the fathers. When you read about God's faithfulness, his mercy, his love, his compassion, his steadfast love, his covenant-keeping faithfulness, his help, his strength, his long-suffering with Israel. When you see God, it's going to produce endurance and comfort because the God of the Scripture is giving you what? Hope. You say, I don't have any hope. There can only be one reason. You don't have the Scriptures. You're not using them. The Scriptures is what bring, brings hope. So God is using tribulation, the pain. He's seeking joy through the pain. When the joy comes, not from our circumstances... Boy, I got out of that tribulation. I'm glad that's over. I'm, I'm feeling joy. That's okay. That's not sin. But if that's the only joy you feel, you don't have any hope. You know what you're hoping in? I'm hoping I don't get sick again. I hope that never happens again. I hope I don't go through that again. And then when you do, what happens? You're more bitter than the first time. So the God that's seeking us through the pain, He's seeking our joy, but He's seeking it through the Word. Believing the word, hoping in the word. When I was with my sister, we were all there and we began to sing. And her face being expressionless, the tears started to roll down her face. You wouldn't have known she was crying except you could see the tears. There was no, she can't move the muscles in her face. You can't see the, the uh, expression of crying. It's just tears rolling down. She would pick up the towel and wipe them. Do you know why she was crying? It wasn't because I was there, I'll tell you. I mean, I, I, she was glad to see me and all the family, but it had nothing to do with us. It was the words. And we sang that song, The Lord has been good to me multiple times. Through fair or cloudy days, my sister was seeking and tracing the rainbow through the rain of her affliction. And her joyful tears were expressing it. I'm sure in her thoughts she's having struggles like you and I would have. I'm, I'm sure of it. But when she heard the words of Scripture in song, it produced a joy. And I think she knew what? She feels the promise is not vain, beloved. God is not making empty Verbal promises. It's real. And so what's happening? Tribulation is working. Patience. Patience. Experience. And experience is bringing more hope in God. 
And that hope will not disappoint you. I know my sister wants to walk. I know she wanted to stay there, but I don't think she's disappointed with God. And you won't be either. Because the love of God is poured out. We experience that joy and peace because joy is seeking us through the reign of tribulation. If we can remember that, we're going to discover things about us that's not good. That's part of the plan. You know, God, God sees it. You know, like that snow globe, you shake it. Well, it looked all pretty and you shook it and then the, it's snow everywhere. When God shakes us, some things are going to come to the surface. But his aim is more hope in him, more joy in him, more peace in him. It's a fruit of justification. Let's pray. Lord, you're a great God. You're merciful. And Lord, as we, we read your word and think about it, we, we know and we feel our weaknesses. Even before the tribulation, we, we experience the weaknesses of our own flesh. And we know how easy it is to misplace our hope. How easy it is to look to something you've created, something even that's good, and think, at least for a moment, this is going to bring me everything I need until it's taken away. So, Lord, your mercy and grace is astounding. How great and long-suffering and mercy you are to us as we even think about Israel and how you should have just wiped out the nation on any number of occasions, but... Because of your covenant you made, you were long-suffering, and you have been with us, Lord. So, Father, I pray in this new year, Jesus, you made it clear, in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, be of good courage, for you have overcome the world. Lord, I pray that as we look ahead, we know, based on Jesus' words, that there will be tribulation. It may be light, it may be severe, it may be medium, we don't know. But we want to have good courage in it. We want to stay on the pathway with Jesus. We want to have full assurance of our faith in him. Lord, bless us to have patience in it. Bless us to experience more hope, experience what we need to see about ourselves. We're just praying, Lord, this, these verses would be true for us. Bless us to experience the fruit of justification, more peace with you, more access with you in the new year, more rejoicing of hope and more hope that doesn't disappoint us, and that's only hope in God. May the tribulations in this new year that we'll all go through in some measure drive us to the God of hope, but, Lord, that it would also drive us together in unity by the Spirit for the glory and honor and majesty of King Jesus, who's our Savior that we love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.